Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to lower this a little bit. Struggle of being short. Okay, there it is. Um, if I'm not on, I'll just use this. It's fine with me. Hello, hello. Okay, I'm on. Great. All right, last time I think I left you off about uh, the, the, the series that I'm doing is entitled Losing Your Religion. A lot of us grew up with religion. And, uh, and our, our frame of reference when we think about church, when we think about God, is through the lens of how we were raised. And one of the criticisms of Christianity is that we believe we are right and everybody else is wrong. Right? It's one of the criticisms. That every other religion is wrong. It's okay for you to believe that. But it does bother us when someone else says, Hey, no, your religion's wrong, my religion's right. Just think about your family reunions. <laughs> think about your holidays. One thing that's very touchy is people's religion. Because everyone's got a different take. Everyone's got a different view. And the other thing I hear sometimes when I'm out in Kevin uh, conversations is that all religions essentially teach or believe the same thing, that God is good or it is, whoever this God is is good and that he loves at some capacity. And some say, I don't really care what you believe. Just pick one and stick with it. That's another thing I hear. I don't care what you are. Because eventually, all things will merge at the end. No matter what you are, what you believe, it's all going to converge one day at the end after life. Are there similarities? Yes. Are there shared values? Yes. Are there similar prohibitions? Yes. And there's an overlap with all world religions, including ours. There's a big overlap. And let me give you the overlap that, I, that I've discovered. The golden rule of relationships. We know that. Treat others the way you want to be treated. We all know that, right? Well, the Muslims believe in Islam. Their belief is no one of you is, is a believer until he, loves for, until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. There's an overlap. Aristotle says, we should behave to our friends as we wish our friends to behave to us. Ooh, come on, Aristotle. <laughs> then there's Plato. May I do to others as they should do unto me. And in Judaism, what you hate, do not do to anyone. In other words, here's something of a crossover with all the religions. They cross over. There's a similar similarity. And it doesn't make all religions the same, but there are some things that all religions tend to have in common, and the golden rule tends to be one of them. Another thing world religions have in common is that they believe there's some ought-tos and some not-ought-tos. Doesn't mean all religions are the same, but there are some, hey, you ought to do this, and you should not do that. C.S. Lewis is an author. Before he became a Christian, he was an author for many, many, many books. And he wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. And it lists the common teachings 
from American Indians to ancient Greece, ancient China, Judaism. And what he found was there, there were eight commandments that generally overlapped most religions. One was, do not harm others with word or deed. Two was, honor your parents. Three was, be kind to your siblings and the elderly. Four, don't have sex with another person's spouse. Five, be honest in all your dealings. Six, don't lie. Seven, care for those who are weaker. Eight, put others first. The other thing all major religions share, besides these commonalities, is also failure. That everyone in every religion eventually falls short of the ought to's. And the reason we know there's fair is because we all, all, in all the literature of all the religion, world religions, it addresses the failure of men and women as it relates to their laws and rules. And we know what they are. We know the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, but we're not sometimes good at it. We're not sometimes good at following the rules, the laws. And what happens is we know because every religion that believes in God offers advice on what you do when you mess up. And that's where the roads diverge. What to do about the missteps? What to do about the failures? What to do about the sin? What do we do with that? Because it creates a gap between us and God. I mean, let's, let's just, how many of us have dishonored our parents? Yeah. My gosh. <coughs> How many of us have harmed one another in word or deed? Guilty. Maybe there are some here who've had sex with, with another, man's, another man's wife. How many of us have been dishonest in our dealings? They gave me the wrong change back. Oh, there's a struggle. Sometimes I just go home. Other times, I, I better bring this back. Guilty. Don't lie. Not caring for those who are weaker. Putting others first. The bottom line that there is a God and there's a standard that we have to live by if we're followers of God. And the bottom line of religion is that you ought to or ought not to, but we did it anyway. There's a lot of ought to's that I didn't do. We know they're not ought to's, but we did it anyway. And that, well, the problem is it puts us at odd with God. And this is just a universal message of religion. You don't have to be religious to understand this. You don't have to be religious to understand that there are things that you do that you know just, are just wrong. And all of us have fallen short of our own standards. Forget God, forget church, forget religion. We've fallen short of our own conscience, own standards. And Christianity or whatever your religion is, system is, Catholicism or Buddhism, all of us have known, not because of church or religion, that we shouldn't tell lies. All of us know that if we stood at the altar and made a pledge or a promise but who's going to be our husband? Who's going to be our wife? That we should keep those promises. We don't need religion or church to tell us that. We know that. Or whether we sign a contract, we should keep our promises. 
And what that produces when we violate that, it makes this guilt very real to us. Our conscience is real. The guilt is real. And what do you do with the guilt? Well, we can always say, well, no one's perfect. That's my go-to. Well, no one's perfect. But that doesn't help my guilt. You find yourself at odds with yourself. You can't go back in time and be a parent again with your kids. What's done is done. You can't go back and change the past. Man, if I could go back and change some choices, but I cannot go back. I lived with those, I still live with those decisions. I can't go back and be faithful to your spouse. You can't. It's done. You can't go back and be honest in that situation you wish you were honest about. What do you do? Because the guilt is real. You're guilty. I'm guilty. Our conscience is telling us the truth. We messed up. We fell short. doesn't matter what religion you're a part of. And religion highlights our inability to live up to a divine standard. And thus there's a gap. That's why sometimes we avoid going to church because every time we go to church, all they're telling us is how big your gap is. That's all they're telling you. You should be doing this. I know I should. I can't stop doing it. And all I do is they widen this gap so much where it's like, why even go? Why even bother? You're going to remind me again of what my conscience tells me every morning I wake up? I don't need church for that. To remind me of the guilt that I feel? I don't need you to remind me. You don't need me to remind you. You know it. We live with it. If I could take back the time when I became a Christian, I went back to my mom and said, my mom and dad's house says, no one is saved in this house and I'm here to save you. I wish I could take that back. Everyone is lost and in darkness. Thank goodness the Lord has rescued me because now I'm going to rescue you, Mom. And my mom just went, hmm, and walked away. Oh, I wish I could take that back. It's been 22 years just trying to walk back my words, be an example, show my mom I love her. I mean, it's been a long haul because I insulted her. I insulted her experience. I insulted her knowledge. I insulted her wisdom. Now, I didn't insult my dad so much because he's like, hey, the man's up there and I'm down here and who cares? That's my dad's attitude. My dad wasn't as offended as my mother. And if you come from Latin families, they run the house. Why? Because they cook the food. That's how you know. So what do you do with that? All religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all of them. This is the question that human, human experience brings to us. What do I do with my past? What do I do with my failure? What do I do about the fact that I didn't even live up to my own standards? I let myself down. And I just can't seem to move past it. This is a universal experience. 
Then came Jesus in the Christian religion. Jesus affirmed the list. But he went a step further and did what no one else did. The arrival of Jesus was good news for people of all religions, of all faiths, of all backgrounds, of all tribes, of all languages, even people who didn't believe in God. Because the pressing question of, of the human soul is, what do I do about me? What do I do about my past? What do I do about my inability to live up to my own standards, much less God's standards, the way God has been presented to me? What do I do? Well, Jesus offered a permanent solution to the, quote, now that we've messed up, what now question. And I'm going to share scripture in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, you can go there and beat me to it. And it's a, it's a passage just above Romans 8. There's in, in chapter 7 and verse 21, there is, a, there, is a, there is a verse there that Paul is trying to connect this to. Paul wrote this to the, to the, uh, uh, the, the Christian church who had a Roman worldview of life. <coughs> He didn't write this to the Jewish people. He wrote it to the Christian people. But he wrote it to a Christian people who, were, who knew the Roman society. Who knew there was pantheons of gods. It was all religions mixed together. And so he writes this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay? That's the law of universal law. It's like gravity. You can't escape gravity. You can't escape this. And you, when you see it, you go, oh yeah, I know. I want to be a good person. But evil is right there. I may have a good Sunday and an evil Monday. It's just, that's the law. That's how, that's how what we, that's the world we live in. And so there's a solution that Jesus brings a permanent solution to this problem. I'm going to show you a video because I think videos sometimes do a much better job than me trying to explain it to you. So I'm going to show you this video. Hope the audio works. Here we go. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. Now those are just the first ten. And there are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. 
And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws there are about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just a complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new, transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect, when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus shows how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a doubt. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. 
And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Okay. Was that a helpful story? Yeah. All right. Challenging too, huh? Helpful and challenging. So that is what the law does. And what Jesus came, he came, he came to put a permanent solution to our very own problem, our conscience. Forget about religion. Just your own standard of your own choices of life. We can't even live up to those. Let me give you a couple examples. I'm never going to date a woman who's disrespectful to me. Right? Then we have a, a lot of them, right? We're in love with them, right? Or I'm not going to date a man who's mean to me. We do it anyway. Because it's the nature of what we are. And then there's this relational challenge in marriage. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And one person tries to be good, and then the other doesn't. And then you stop being good. And then this person goes, well, I'm going to be good now. Like, well, I'm not being good right now, and I don't want to. <laughs> and there's this yin and yang and yin and yang. And the goal is to both be like loving, right? For like at least three hours on your date, right? <laughs> and then you get home, and there's kids, and there's life, and there's yin and yang and yin and yang. Put your plate away. I do everything. What do you do? Right? So Jesus, through Paul, the writing, he makes this statement after he makes the previous statement about the law. And I want to do good, but I don't do good. Therefore, there is, no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation is a legal term that says you've been found, you've been tried and found guilty and off to prison you go. You get shipped away. And what Jesus has done, what Paul is telling us in this Roman recipient of the Roman worldview, many religions, many gods, he's saying this, if you are in Christ, no matter what your religious background is, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what kind of rules or laws that you've broken, once you've placed, once you're placed in Christ, from God's perspective, you are no longer condemned. The, the law is still real. Gravity's still there. It's still there. You will leave this church building and you will violate one of God's commands. I guarantee it. By 6 o'clock, most of you will do that. You'll get an attitude. You'll be angry. You'll be unrighteous. You're going to do something to somebody. And that, that's a tough way to live. A religious system may condemn you. You may condemn you. Your friends may condemn you. But once you're connected to Jesus as your Lord, you, from God's perspective, are no longer condemned. You may feel condemned. 
You may feel like you need to spend the rest of your life trying to uncondemn yourself. You may try to earn your way back to your friends and neighbors and God. But Paul says, okay, if you understand the magnitude of this message that I proclaim, when you understand it at the end of the day, you will understand that you are no longer condemned by God. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Remember the gravity analogy? How about anti-gravity? Right? Gravity does not have a hold on you. The law of, of, of the law no longer condemns you. But in God's perspective, when you're in Christ, He has set you free. What's the law of sin and death? Here it is in a nutshell. When you sin, something dies. That's the law of sin and death. You've seen it. When you dishonor your parents, you kill that relationship. Something's dying. When you steal from someone, something's dying in the relationship. When you lie to a friend, watch your relationship die. When you steal from your parents, watch your relationship die. When you want to uh, uh, be unfaithful to your spouse, Watch your marriage die. These things kill. The result is sin kills eventually our relationship with God. But when you're in Christ, everything changes. Just think about our world. Nations kill themselves through sin. Cultures kill themselves through sin. Families destroy themselves through sin. And when you sin, something dies. But he says, but the law or that principle has been overcome by a different principle. Paul says that the law of sin and death will always be in place as long as we live in this world. But through Christ, a new principle, a new law has been introduced that you can take advantage of. And not just, but, not just you but people of every single religion that understand that they've fallen short of their own expectations and God's expectations. He calls it the law of the Spirit that gives life. Because there is a stronger law. And it's not the work your way back to unbetraying your friend or it's not your rebuilding the relationship that's has more to do with them than you. The law of spirit, the law of forgiveness, the law of grace. You ever seen forgiveness and grace resurrect a friendship? I've seen that. Man, is that awesome? Or what? Your relationship with God can be resurrected. Not by keeping that list but by being in Christ. That does, that, following the list does nothing to help you with your failures. But being in Christ changes everything about our failures. That's why he says, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature. The law was good at one thing, 
condemning, exposing, revealing. It was powerless to restore you. It was powerless to save you. It had one function, to expose. But it couldn't, it couldn't rescue us. You know when you get pulled over by the police when you're doing 85? You're powerless. The law is the law. You're getting the ticket. You break a law, there are consequences. The law is the law. It's not there to rescue you. It's there to condemn you, to try you, to find you guilty. That's what the law is there for. And it says, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. That's what makes Jesus so different from every other religion. He brings a permanent solution to the problem of guilt, to the problem of our conscience. God did something. He didn't bring an easier list. He sent Jesus down. God didn't say try harder, move faster. He came to us while we were lawbreakers, lawbreakers, sinners, and did what we could not do. He paid a price for our sin. So it says, and so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You know what the righteous requirement means? It means never ever breaking a single command of God. That's the righteous requirement. And we break it every single day. Religion condemns us. And at best offers a way to redeem ourselves Jesus actually redeems us without having to run around. In Him, in Christ, we're given a right standing with God. So the unresolved issue in religion is, where do I stand with God? Well, Jesus resolves that for us. There's this gap because of my failures. Paul's message is God knew and sent Jesus to fill that gap. That's what he did. God did this for us. What we could not do for ourselves. And that's the reason that we ought to lose our religion and follow Jesus. All religion does is widen the gap. Jesus fills the gap. He bridges the two. So when God looks at you, now understand this, every time you break a law, righteous judgment comes. God's not wrong to do that. But the difference is, when He sees you in Christ, He sees you as absolutely perfect every single day. At 6 o'clock, you're perfect. <laughs> 11 o'clock munchies, you're perfect. Netflix binging, you're perfect. You're perfect. That's how he sees you when you're in Christ. 
You know what that does to my heart? I just want to love people. This is amazing. You have to know this. You, wait, you, do you know this is available? How much more ought, to be, ought we to share the good news? You know what stops us? Is that we, we go, I, I, I hear that, Gio, but my guilt is so... No, no, it's because you're, you're, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're still trying to undo your guilt. It's been, uh, it's been resolved. It's been, it, it's been over. So why don't we tell the good news more often? That's good news. If you wonder where you stand with God, you're a candidate for God's grace. Not to work for it. Simply receive by shifting your trust. All religions point to three things. We ought to, we don't, and we're at odds with God. That's where most religions lead us to. Are they all wrong? No, they're just incomplete. They have no solution for that problem. That's why Jesus is so different. Religion leads us to, need, or to our need for a savior. And God sent his son into a religious world so that we could let go of religion and truly embrace a savior. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son to be a sin offering. So I want to encourage us all. Let's shift our trust to Jesus. Let's get in Christ. So that when God looks at you, you're perfect every day. And you're free from your guilt. Thank you and have a great, great afternoon. This concludes our service.